if we can remember back that far when we as former Living Hope and former Northwest were going through the initial stages of our merger process. And during that time, we actually had this sermon series titled called The Power of And. Does this ring a bell for anyone? No? <laughs> two, years, two years ago is a long time, so I'll, I'll cut you some slack on that. In this sermon series called The Power of And, what we, what we looked at was how some things in this life, this very life, well, they're just simply better together, aren't they? Some combinations actually kind of enhance each other. Some elements, well, they elevate something that might have been good on their own, and well, they make it even better. Does it sound familiar to us? Now, right? We talked about in this series kind of how like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you know, elements that might have been good on their own, but together they create something special now, don't they? How bacon, bacon was kind of this universal positive pairing. It just seems to make everything in life better, (laughs) right? How getting married to the love of your life, the person that you will spend the rest of your life with, well, that, that is just as good of a pairing that we have in this world now, isn't it? One thing that we didn't really get to talk much about in this sermon series was that tragically and sadly, these pairings and this amplifying effect, well, it's not solely tied to the good things in this life now, is it? Pairings of bad things and bad elements, well, they have the ability to just make some things in this life even worse now, don't they? I'll give you some examples, like the idiotic combination of stupidity and peer pressure. Well, it might cause someone, not naming names, to jump off of a cliff, go cliff jumping just because his friends did it. And that combination, well, that combination might actually end, uh, lead you to end up in the hospital somewhere, right? Pairing of some bad things in this life. There are toxic combinations as well. Jealousy and envy together might lead someone to resent this very life that God has so deliberately given to them. There are deadly combinations too. Drinking and driving might not only cost you your life or your future, but the future and the lives of those who are around you at that very moment. Avoidance and denial might cause us to sweep under the rug our most recent hurt, the thing that is just eating us alive from the inside right now. Deep-seated hurt and pain and tragedy from the hardships that we all endure in this life and drug addiction, well, that is, that is a combination that will just take and take and take from you until it ultimately takes your life, hurting all of your loved ones in the process. Tragically, some things in this life, some things, well, they're just worse together now, aren't they? In our text today, we're going to be going over certain combinations that Paul urges us as Christians 
just to, just to avoid, to not even entertain things that will only hinder our partnership with Christ. Our partnership with Christ is the ultimate combination that we have in this world now, isn't it? But that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. The most important things in this world, well, they rarely ever are easy now, are they? It's important for us to keep in mind that Paul is writing to a church, a church that was seeking answers, seeking to make answers of their most recent struggles, the pain, the tragedy, the things that are going on in their ministry. And what Paul, what he does in this chapter, he tries to give them a realistic look at what ministry in this world, well, what that actually looks like. So with all this in mind, let's go ahead and take a look at our text today and see what Paul wants not only this church back in Corinth to understand, but maybe something for us to understand today in our ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 16 say this. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says at an acceptable time, I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation, I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time, and now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of Christ, we commend ourselves in every way through great endurance and inflictions and hardships and calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. It's by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. In honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, we are treated as impostors and yet are true. As unknown and yet are well known, as dying yet see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing but possessing, possessing everything. We have spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. There is no restriction in our affections, but only in yours. In return, I speak as to children. Open wide your hearts also. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship is there between light and darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Beliar? And what does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with the idols? For we are the temple of the living God. For God said, I will live in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So so what is Paul really getting at here in this text. Remember, he is writing to a church that was in the midst of their own civil war, one that looked anything but united. 
can a church achieve God's missional plan for this world if it's busy at war-making enemies out of each other? He wants us and is calling us in this chapter to be equally matched with one another. Some of your translations might actually say the more familiar term, equally yoked. But what does he truly mean by using this word here? Verse 15 might actually be a subtle clue for us. Um, Beliar or Beliel is a really interesting word here. It's actually the only time it's ever used in the entire New Testament. So what does it mean? Um, It's a Hebrew word that its default meaning was worthlessness. But rabbis over the time, well, they started to uh, express this and describe this as a way to um, those who are, have evil spirits or evil individuals, those who have cast off the yoke of God entirely, as evil is not matched with who God has shown himself to be. These are really interesting pairings that we find in verses 14 through 16. They're pairings of things that are mismatched, stand on opposite sides of the spectrum from one another. What does Paul want us to get out of this? Paul is wanting us to be cautious about what we choose and who we choose to partner our lives and our ministries with. Because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we might pair our ministry, our life, with something that could ultimately jeopardize, jeopardize our relationship with God? What maybe have you tried to combine your faith in God with in this world? And was that equally matched with who God has shown himself to be? There's one thing that really stuck out to me in this text as I was reading it, and I think is at the core of the message that he has in this chapter to this particular church. Paul talks about the hardships that he's endured in ministry. He mentions that he has had afflictions and hardships and calamities in his life and in his walk with God. His relationship with God, while it involved real-world opposition and it wasn't easy, Why do you think he includes this at all in this letter to this warring church? Who here has had their own hardships, afflictions, calamities in their lives, in their walk with God? The word that Paul uses here for afflictions is this Greek word philipsis. And this word actually has an entire theological context that's associated with it. It's more uh, familiar. Um, it's translated as tribulation. And in the book of Revelation, John the seer, he translates uh, tribulation and he uses it as a way to express times of trials, of afflictions that believers will endure before Christ's ultimate return. Why do you think he's using this particular word at this particular chapter for this particular church? 
The Greek philosopher Aristotle, he defines this word kind of differently. He defines this word, philipsis, as pressure. Pressure that builds and builds over time. What does pressure look like? What can pressure feel like? What does pressure do to a person or to a Christian or to a church? What has pressure, the pressure of this world, done to your faith? See, the reality is that pressure, pressure often has the ability to change you into an entirely different person. Is the faith, the faith that we have in Jesus and God and the mission of his church, is that something that is neatly cultivated and constructed somewhere in a vacuum? Somewhere where all of the variables are already predetermined and controlled safely in a laboratory, far removed from the tragedies and the hardships of this life. Or does your faith take place in the real world? In the real world where afflictions, well, they're anything but avoidable. Rather, they're inevitable. A place where your faith in God is constantly under this type of pressure. Maybe, maybe that person that person that you were so convinced that you were going to marry, so invested in that relationship, well, that relationship had ended much like all the others had ended before. It's left you once again picking up the broken pieces of your newly broken heart. And you're under the pressure once again of starting all over. What about the pressure to conform? to be just like everybody else. Or the pressure that you feel when you feel like you're never quite good enough. Or the pressure of our most recent rejections. Pressure to get married, and to start a family, to find love. The pressure to go to college and start a career. The pressure to never sin. The pressure to have all of the right answers as a Christian. The pressure to survive the next tidal wave of hurt and pain in this life that's just on the horizon right before our very eyes. It's coming right towards us. Pressure to forgive when you have been so very deeply hurt and the pressure to let it all go. Pressure. Pressure is all around us, all the time now, isn't it? What are some of the pressures in your life right now that are kind of constricting your ability to enjoy who you are and where you are right now? What happens to pressure that isn't dealt with, that's just simply ignored? It can build and it can build until it can be no longer contained and it explodes, sending shrapnel into all areas of our lives, damaging us at the core of who we are, leading us to believe that giving up on God and our faith is the only option that we have 
less. How many of us are burdened by the different pressures that we face each and every day? The pressures that seemingly never go away. Pressure can build. It can mount. Seemingly never goes away. Or maybe it does and then it's just replaced by a new one. Pressure. It's always in the background of our lives surrounding us constantly. How many families out there today, this year, have fallen victim to great financial pressure? What can that type of constant pressure do to a family? What could that type of constant pressure do to a church? It often breaks apart families. stops our ability to love one another. What has life's constant pressure stolen from your life right now? What has it taken maybe from you or your family or this very church? Constant pressure from all areas of our lives. Well, it can start to cause our foundations to crack. Our families to break apart. Our frustrations to boil over. Too much pressure from too many different areas. Well, it can honestly rip apart our ministries and our churches. The sad reality is that pressure, well, pressure, it can steal joy from our everyday lives and it can make happiness seem like it's something like a myth that's nowhere to be found. Pressure ultimately causes many people to want to give up, to leave their faith in God behind But can pressure only destroy? Does it only damage us as human beings? Or can pressure create? And if it can create, can it create something incredibly valuable? Can a diamond ever exist, be formed, if it doesn't endure constant pressure from all areas for a very long time. What in our own current culture or society is a more valuable gift to give someone, a physical gift to give someone, than a diamond? An eternal uh, uh, symbol that we swear our love to each other by. A diamond, a piece of carbon that was in the ground in the real world, surrounded by constant heat and pressure for a very long time. Something that can survive that amount of pressure, well, it's not, it doesn't, doesn't happen overnight now, does it? Well, it doesn't happen somewhere safely removed from the hardships and the tragedies of this life in a laboratory somewhere where every variable is already predetermined and controlled. A diamond can only transform into a diamond if it has faced and endured a great amount of philipsis, pressure. Pressure can make or break our relationships with each other, with God. It forces us into a choice, either to give up or to get up and to keep going. Faith, faith much like a diamond, is uh, shaped and forged 
by all of the pressures that you endure every day? How valuable is your faith to you? Is it worth enduring the pressures that you're under right now? So what is the key to not giving up if it's possible? How do we remain faithful when we are so constantly under pressure all the time in this life? Well, what did, what did Paul start off, verse 4, before making all of these lists? What did he say? The key, the key is great endurance. If our faith is not partnered with endurance, well, then there will become a time where our faith will falter. And if our love is not paired with great endurance, there is going to be a time where someone does something or says something that causes your love for them to end. What have you attached your life with? What have you decided to partner or to yoke your faith with? And is it endurance? What experiences in this life, real life experiences, have shaped you, the person you are, and the relationship that you have with God right now? Did those things, those pressures, did that make your faith in God better? Or were those pressures too much for your faith to handle at that time? See, Paul talks, he talks a lot about time in this chapter. He talks about it with a sense of urgency. He says that the appropriate time for ministry is now and that the day of salvation is already here. Well, how do you and I talk about time? How does our culture talk about time? How do we view our time Have you ever wondered why we use the phrase spending time? For us, we innately equate our time with our ability to buy or to purchase things. It's been given some monetary value by our employers. But is time really something that you or I, that we could actually possess? that we could hold in our very hands or store more and more of it in our bank account somewhere? Is that how time actually works? Do we possess it or do we just simply experience it right here and right now? Time has really become this kind of currency of our lives. When we talk about it, we get to spend it. We get to spend it either at home or at school or work or at church with our family or with friends, depositing our valuable time into the things that we fill our lives with, the things that we attach ourselves to. So who do you spend your time with? And is it God? It said, unless you got some crazy type of sleeping disorder, which would be unfortunate, that we spend an entire, an entire third of our lives asleep. Eight hours of that day. Completely wasted. I don't want to say wasted, but asleep. What do you do with the other third, right? The other third, you're at work or at school or some combination of the two. And if you're lucky, if you're lucky, you really enjoy what you do for a living. But most of us, most of us aren't that fortunate. We don't really like 
the job that we possess. So what do you do with that final third of the time that we've been given here on earth? How do you spend that time? Is it spent kind of cowering or in fear or recovering from all of the pressures that we face during the day? We might not all be rich, but we've been given the same exact 24 hours in the day as everyone else. So how do you spend your time? Is church, is church only what we do here on a Sunday for a couple hours at a time? Is that all it could ever be? Or is church, ministry, something that could be much, much more than that? Is our entire lives our ministry, our witness and testimony of God's good news? Maybe you believe that only pastors or missionaries, well, they're, they're called into ministry, not me. But is that really true? Every single Christian is called into ministry now, aren't they? Called to minister to those who God has so carefully placed around them right now. To your family, to your coworkers, to your community, to your friends and family, and yes, even to your church. Your life is your ministry. We, if you believe what Paul has said here in chapter 6, we are the place where the living God dwells. We are that temple. One united body of believers who spend their precious time enduring the hardships of this life as a way to express God's love and who God is to others. Time. Time has become the currency that we get to spend in this life. And our faith, well, it becomes crystallized, able to withstand more and more pressure when we pair our faith with endurance. Time experiences both good and bad while they build up a lasting and enduring faith. Who here has also had a very difficult time finding the rewind button on life's remote control? I don't see any hands up, so I'm assuming you guys found it and just haven't told me about it yet. I don't know where it's at. There are some things, there are some conversations, some nights, some experiences that never truly end for us now, do they? Tragedies that we live our lives underneath the shadows for the rest of our lives. Things, things that now are attached to us, that we carry around with us wherever we go. Can we ever go back to who we were before such afflictions? Before life got to be so difficult, or our different tribulations took us in a different route than we wanted to go. Before pressure took hold of our lives and consumed our very ministries. So what, what is 2 Corinthians chapter 6 really all about? What it comes down to, what it comes down to is how we deal with our disappointment in this life. 
What does disappointment look like? What does disappointment feel like? What can disappointment do to a person, to a Christian, to a church? What has disappointment done to your faith? See, the reality is that disappointment or disappointment, well, it has the ability to change who you are into an entirely different person. Over the last four years of my ministry in Tucson, as a pastor, I have been at times deeply disappointed, let down, felt like a complete failure. Ministry, ministry can be deeply disappointing at times. And what can disappointment do to us It can eat us alive from the inside, stealing away our confidence in God, leading us to question if this is what God really wants us to do. How we deal with our disappointment in ministry and in this life, the times that we are let down, the failures that are now attached to my legacy and my name, well, the pressure of disappointment is at the core of this message, at this chapter to this particular church, this church that was deeply disappointed and broken. How have we at Summit Ridge Community Church, how have we handled our disappointment? Maybe some of you were disappointed about the way that this merger has gone so far. Maybe you were disappointed about the people who were supposed to be here sitting in those seats right next to you, but have decided to leave. Maybe you were disappointed about the things that up till now just haven't happened, might not ever happen. You might be disappointed ultimately in its leaders, myself included, who turned out to be human after all. Not perfect, not immune to conflict or the pressures of this life, the hardships that happen in ministry. See, Paul wrote this very chapter to a deeply hurt, broken church body that was very disappointed, had so many plans together, plans that just didn't work out. Much like you and I, Their faith, well, their faith didn't take place somewhere safely in a laboratory somewhere. It took place in the real world where hardships, afflictions, calamities, they're anything but avoidable. Rather, they're inevitable. Disappointment, much like pressure, if it's left undealt with, if it's just simply ignored, believe that it's going to go away eventually. It can build and build until it's just too late. Too much pressure from all areas of life have now just been so all-consuming. And the only option we have is to leave it all behind. The church, its leaders, and eventually our faith. The pressure of disappointment might be the greatest pressure that you and I as Christians have to face because it's ever-evolving, isn't it? 
taking on new names and new faces. Because each day, each day presents us with new challenges where we might have new hardships, new afflictions, and new calamities. And there really is no expiration date on our disappointment now, is there? can stay with us for a very long time. It infiltrates our lives in such incredible ways, and it weighs us down day after day. It can steal joy from our everyday lives, and it can make happiness seem like something, like a myth. It's nowhere to be found in this life. It can build and build much like pressure, and it can start to crack our very foundation in Christ, leaving your faith as a wounded casualty of the hardships, the hardships of having your faith take place in the real world. What have you partnered your ministry with? Is it compatible with Christ? Have you built this life with things that are going to just make you better? Pressure can lead us to our breaking points, but it's necessary to build and create something like a diamond. You get to choose how you spend the currency that we have in this life, our time on. Do not waste your precious time on trying to find life's rewind button, trying to rewrite your past as if that's something you could actually do. Spend your precious time that you have here in this life composing a compatible future with Christ. Doing the hard work of restoration and reconciliation. Resurrecting the dead and broken relationships that you already have in your life right now. Do not allow your disappointment, however great it might be, the trials that you've already faced or might face in this world, the tribulations that have happened to you, don't allow that to steal steal one of the most important things that we have in this life, which is our faith in God. May you choose to partner your life and your ministry and your faith with great endurance. When Summit Ridge Community Church, when we started the process of merging our two churches together, we did so because we believed one very important thing, that our partnership, that of former Living Hope and former Northwest, that was a partnership built off of an equally matched ministry, that you and I, that we are just one of those things in this life, that we are better together than we ever were on our own. Summit Ridge Community Church, do you still believe this? Do you still believe this? Because I, I certainly still do. Just because something isn't perfect might not ever be perfect. It doesn't mean that we should stop trying to make it even better. 
better than what it currently is? Are you stuck or currently caught up on where you might rather be in this life, rather be in this year? Maybe where you believe that you deserve to be already at this point in your life that you've forgotten to make the most of, or rather enjoy where you are and who you are right now. Can we ever go back to who we were before? There are some things, Summit Ridge Community Church, some things in this very life that are simply better together than they ever were on their own. Pray with me. Dear God, thank you for giving us an example of real-world struggles, struggles that we might feel that we are in the midst of and are alone and on our own. But God, that is not true. You are with us. Help us to partner our lives with the only thing that is sure to get us through the hardships that we are in, the pressures that we are under. Help us to not lose sight of you or your son Jesus, but to partner our lives and our ministry with great endurance. Amen.